0: All right. Good evening, everybody. Hope you're doing well. Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. Time for your Saturday night show. Oh, my God. It's the last day of the shortest and bitterest month. Not only in the world as a whole, but even more importantly, in the financial ecosystem of the world's most listener-dependent philosophy show with me as the host. Look at that, narrowing down my categories until no one can argue with me about anything. So I hope you're doing well. Please, please, please drop by free domain radio.com/donate you know there's a little something called lent which is where you're supposed to give up stuff and it generally occurs sort of late in winter when you had no food anyway hey cupboards bare let's make a virtue out of not eating well mike what are you giving up for lent for uh, because january and february are like the donation desert in in this has always been the case i mean we're hoping that people will break uh, the cycle. Um anything that in particular you're going to give up until uh, donations bounce back?
1: Uh, given that uh we just got some bad news about one of our cats and I have like a $600 bet, vet bill to pay.
0: And that's and <laughs> you know, know the sad I'm thing thinking. is and the sad thing is that, that $600 bill is going to get even higher if they trace the dental records back to Mike taking a bite out of the cat. As I mentioned, it's a tough month
1: i i do they do like to sleep in the crock pot sometimes we have a crock pot <laughs> and for whatever with the reason it's not on down everybody with a before brick. you call like you know cat protective services or something
0: but uh, they do. we're only joking <laughs> this is what needs to be said sometimes no they actually show.
1: do like to sit in the crock pot if we leave the lid off it's kind of big and it's on the counter they'll come up and they'll they'll curl up in it because it's real small and contained and they like you know,
0: getting into small areas. So I will occasionally find the cat treats pot. in with a nice bed of basmati rice. <laughs> then <laughs> they like to sleep in the crockpot.
1: <laughs> What's that smell, honey? <laughs> oh
0: dear. All right. Um, yeah, have we hit a new low in terms of like just completely horrendously offending everyone and for fine reason? No, and I'm sorry to hear about about your cat. Oh, just
1: because um, I'm sure I'll get emails of people asking if I don't mention it. But uh, yeah, one of our cats. We found out he has some kidney problems had a blood test done after he had some bad breath. Wanted to find out what the bottom of that was. It's normally a sign of health problems. And he has kidney problems, which are hereditary. And unfortunately, we have three cats, and they're all brothers. And uh, hereditary health problems when you have three cats that are all brothers really sucks. So it's been a bit of a crappy week in that respect. But uh, yeah, I don't know what I'm giving up for Lent. Maybe, um, I don't know, my Netflix subscription now that I've watched House of Cards?
0: In totality. Um, uh, <laughs> you have a Netflix. I couldn't even. I have one hand puppet. That actually is just a sock with eyeballs drawn on.
1: Is it as good an uh, actor as uh, Kevin Spacey? Because if he is. I mean my God. I tell you. Mostly
0: something? what it does is just argue with me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I told you not to talk about that publicly stuff. It doesn't. No.
0: Uh, I have to tell you too. I read a theory. Um, that. That the reason I'm anti-religious. Is my mother was Catholic. Uh, you haven't heard that one?
1: No, yeah, I haven't heard that one. I've, I've people have thrown out the my mommy mother? issues thing before, but regarding religion, yeah, I, because she's know, Catholic. I, uh,
0: yeah, I, I'm anti-religious because my mother is Catholic. And that's why nobody has to evaluate my arguments. (laughs) It's like fill in the blank, so you don't have to evaluate my arguments. He has mommy issues, so I don't have to evaluate his arguments.
1: Arrogant. Fill in the word.
0: Born with a silver spoon in his mouth, so I don't have to evaluate his arguments. (laughs) He's bald. He has freckles, so I don't have to evaluate his arguments. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a constant. And I look, I really, I mean. It's really tempting, of course, right, to find some way to dismiss uh, people. Uh, And, you know, there's this whole industry, not not related to me, but the whole industry of just McCarthyism is bad, so I don't have to evaluate whether there were Soviet spies in the State Department (laughs) dictating what happened to Poland at, at Yalta. I mean, just heaping people with negatives so that you don't have to evaluate their arguments. And people really do like to look for psychological causes and just anything that they can... And I don't think it's, I don't think it's because people have massive problems with the arguments. I mean, generally they don't even know. But I think that I was just reading about in, in um, Ontario, sort of where I live. There's a uh, some concern among college professors that the curriculum that was implemented in the late 90s, which, you know, they got rid of grade 13 because it was too expensive. It's like, hey, so the fact that it cost me a year of my life is no problem. Oh, is it costing you guys a little bit of money? Now you want to get rid of it. <laughs> and, um,
2: and
0: the physics professors are saying, well, look, the scores are like way down. One physics professor gave a test to his um, incoming students that he'd been giving for a number of years, uh, people had gone down significantly, 25%, 30% uh, in terms of the pass rate. And um, I, and he says that the problem is that bec- because they've accelerated what people are supposed to know before they graduate, what's happened is they're not teaching critical thinking. Now, they weren't teaching a whole lot of critical thinking, to, to be fair, even when I was knee-high to a grasshopper in government schools, but there was some, and, and you had the occasional erratic, hypercaffeinated teacher who would just shake your matrix a little bit, you know, <laughs> just, just for the fun of it, you know, hey, I see some rotting apples of underutilized thought, dun, dun, dun. you know, let's take a, a, a caber toss to the base of that apple tree and see what stands. Uh, I remember um, a teacher in, well, when I first came to Canada, I was in grade 8 and for a couple of months and, and then I moved. we moved cities and I was put back in grade 6 and I had a teacher in grade 6 who was pretty good that way. He was pretty, pretty good that way. I remember us going through um, H.G. Wells' The Time Machine, and he had a lot to say about the Eloy and the Morlocks and how they related. And a, a lot of it was just like, I, I talked about this in the last show, just sort of rambling hippie talk, but it was like mm-hmm. also kind of stimulating. Like, whoa. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm learning anything, but I'm really listening. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's helping, but I'm alert.
1: <laughs> Those words and, sure are interesting. I will pay attention yeah.
0: And so what's happened is because there's so much stuff that people just need to regurgitate before they graduate, the, I think the last sort of shreds of critical thinking have just vanished. And it now is just like cram facts that people can throw up on a test and then shuffle them along to the next binge purge cycle of uh, uh, facts and, and, and um, recitation. And this is, of course, completely the opposite of where education should be going because the government's doing that. Education should be only critical thinking these days. Why? Because the internet has replaced our need for memory.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. I don't know. You're too young for this, I think, Mike. (laughs) But there used to be these things. Have you ever heard of these things? Slide rules?
1: I know of their existence.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Do you know that... Yeah, and and logarithmic rules. and, And you used to have ways of calculating square roots and all this kind of stuff. And then... I got a calculator watch. And it's like it's a little thermonuclear mushroom cloud where all of this stuff used to be.
1: You do you need $1,000 worth of encyclopedias? No, you have Wikipedia
0: or <laughs> Google. And, right. yeah. and, you, and it's, you know, on your phone, on your phone. And, uh, you know, couldn't remember when grade 13 got um, removed. Boom! Got it, 2003. Like, you just don't need to look anything up. Why, why bother? Why? You used to have to memorize all these constants and all that. And now, it, the internet has freed up the human mind to do what it's really supposed to do. Human brain sucks at retention. And, uh, uh, but it's great at critical thinking. And the whole point of the internet to me is to offload the need for memorization and to give people the capacity to focus on what the brain does best, which is conceptualization, critical thinking, rational thought, a refutation, argument, you know, all that kind of good philosophical stuff. But of course, naturally, government's like, let's head back to the past. <laughs> let's have people <laughs> memorize more. Now that there's the Internet, memorizing stuff is super important. Well, stuff, thankfully, and, net
1: neutrality is going to fix the Internet, so we won't have to worry about it.
0: <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it's uh, it was really tragic just how stuff was getting from one side of the planet to the other through a system of voluntary mutual cooperation for profit. I mean, that was horrifying. I'm so glad that the government has decided to step in. And you do know, you, you know how much the government cares about Netflix? It's not just a pretense to gain control by ginning up some false controversy and, and so on. They really, really care that video delivery systems uh, gain equal bandwidth across the internet i mean it's right there in the constitution Obama loses Those God damn,
1: it. i guarantee it every night
0: those yeah those founding fathers you know like that the 32nd pie amendment <laughs> all future video streaming services shall have equal access to bandwidth over the intranets now they did spell it with a z at the end but other than that you gotta i mean that's that's some prescient stuff i mean they're still talking about militia But they figured that stuff out. So it's it's so great that the government has taken the core mandate of uh, protecting persons and property in a free society and decided to bend the internet to its will to solve a problem that the free market solved long ago. I mean, it's just wonderful. I mean, the government that's still using whiteboards in the classroom all around... the world. It's so great.
1: Oh, did you see the article that, that came out this week? It was, it was all over Drudge. Uh, their air traffic control is using, like, technology from 50 years ago. That's held together with duct tape and chewing gum, supposedly.
0: Do you know that the space shuttle is still using code from the Apollo missions? Ooh. And, and that's because, of course, I mean, and, and it's so old. The computers in the space shuttle, if I remember this rightly, computers, they're so old, you actually have to swap memory modules when you want to change the program. Oh, dear. Give me the backup 16K so we can get into orbit. That's a bit before
1: my time. Was that pre-Oregon Trail or
0: after Oregon Trail? I don't know. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) I mean, you might as well get the fucking Pony Express with a giant catapult (laughs) as far as technology goes. It's so
2: so bad. It's so bad.
1: Okay, but, so uh, uh, if, if I got this right, uh, people have given up critical thinking for Lent, and we should give up YouTube comments, and uh, unfortunately the government has not given up overreaches of power for Lent, unfortunately. I think that about sums it up.
0: I've decided to give up non-tangents for Lent, and I feel I'm <laughs> doing a good job so far um, on, in this particular, I guess loosely could be called a conversation.
1: Can you tell so, me why fish is not a meat? for lent stuff i've i've never (laughs) never talked about why fish
0: why fish is not a meat
1: you're allowed to eat fish
0: oh i'll tell you why because being a fisherman so much makes you want to shoot yourself with a fish hook (laughs) that if they also couldn't eat fish they just they'd never come back they'd be like just keep sailing i can't (laughs) pull another goddamn fish out of the water like i can't do it i'm so bored oh my god it's so terrible plus they smell suspiciously like fish And I have to club them. You know, these four little silver things flopping around. They just want to get back to their home. Bang, hit them with a giant chair leg. Uh, I can't, you know, my back hurts from hauling nemos out of the reef with with giant ropes. You know, like fishing is, I mean, it's a sport, whatever, right? I mean, not the end of the world. I've fished in a variety of places around the world. And it's not bad. It's not a bad way to commune with nature and Ignore the fact that you're getting hungry and there's just no way to replace the calories you're using with the calories you're getting. But to actually be a fisherman, I mean, you know, like a Jesus is like, I'm going to go recruit, recruit among the fishermen because I could be a crazy bearded cult leader. But, oh, my God, their, their alternative to following me is going back to fishing. Hey, look, I've got a big trail of fishermen following me.
1: Hey, Steph, did you hear about the two hundred and eighty pound catfish that was caught in Italy this week. This is this this intro is just an accumulation of all the drudge articles I've read. <laughs> Wait, two
0: hundred and eighty like, pound catfish that was caught in Italy, and do you know why it's two hundred and eighty pounds? Why? It's one tiny catfish with three ISIS militiamen inside, <laughs> who are going to take over Rome and bring around, bring about the end times. And um,
3: yeah, so <laughs> good to
0: I just know. Goodness. Yeah, it's good to know. It's how they're how they're getting in. You know, enough boats from Libya. Let's just get inside a giant catfish <laughs> and spring out. Look up the picture, everybody. It's uh it's quite the sight to see. Twelve hundred pound tuna caught recently. Oh. Well. Wow. A sixteen year old fisherman caught a twelve hundred pound tuna. You know, Steph, now that you
1: mention it, we have gotten lots of complaints that we haven't done a true news episode about the catching of this giant tuna. It's obviously a huge news story that needs to be covered. In exquisite detail,
0: <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I, I, it's quite impressive, and uh, I always imagine quite a huge amount of work. Giant swordfish caught as well, and uh, That's so a yeah, lot of lots of on
1: Fridays. Yeah, at I, I have no
0: idea. I have no idea like uh, why this shows up in my feeds. I don't, I don't think I've ever had any particular interest, <laughs> but it's just there, you know. Hey, are you tired of reading about the economic collapse of the Western world? Here's a big fish. <laughs> You might need to live on this. Learn how to fish. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's move on to the callers. Are any callers
1: still on the, the line? No. I don't
0: yeah, know. we can probably do this for about the next four days. So let's. Uh...
1: <laughs> All right. Well, upwards today is Clark. Uh, Clark wrote in and said, "Is there an objective standard for determining what is art? The common definition is subjective." using this standard, the work of a deranged person smearing feces has the same value as a masterpiece done by a methodically trained, accomplished, and dedicated artist. So what is art?
0: All right. Clark, Hello. Did you have some... Hi, Click. First of all, welcome to the show. Nice to chat with you. I always launch into the questions, and people usually have something to say before we do, so thanks for calling in.
2: And thanks for a great question. We can go right to the question.
0: Well, so, I've done a, a podcast of this, so I'm going to keep it relatively brief, and, and for more, you can go into the podcast details. Um, I just did it sort of, because we didn't get to this a couple of weeks ago, so I wasn't sure if you were coming back, so it's a great question. So, uh, briefly, this is the definition of art that I think is, is valid, which is um, that art is an argument, Argument is uh, art is an argument to remind you of a perspective that is easy to overlook. That is easy to overlook. So the traditional examples is um, if I paint a picture of something beautiful, Venus de Milo or David or whatever in Sistine Chapel. If I if I paint something beautiful, I'm making an argument that yeah, there's ugliness in the world. There's ugliness, there's viciousness, cruelty degradation horror irrationalism, mysticism there's ugly stuff in the world and it's easy to forget the beauty of the world and so I want to bring your attention to beauty to refresh and remind you of the value of beauty in the world and to remind and that is an argument uh, for a perspective that's easy to overlook on the other hand if I paint a picture of something ugly then I'm saying, well, yeah, there's beauty in the world, but remember, there's ugly things in the world and so on. So if you think of the the sort of traditional photograph that you see that's supposed to make you feel guilty for, I don't know, having a roof over your head or something, is the the giant skyscraper and maybe a helicopter passing by. And then at the base of the giant vertical ice cube tray skyscraper, there is a homeless man sitting in a box looking mournful. And this is an argument which says, yes, we have all this wealth in society, let us not forget, let us remind ourselves, let us remember the people who are hard done by, the people who are down on their luck, the people who need their help, and so on. So it's an argument for a perspective that is uh, often overlooked, and it's often a plea for sympathy, and this is particularly true in the 20th and 21st century, in the Frankfurt School, cultural Marxism, and so on, it's a a plea uh, for sympathy, for sympathy. Uh, the downtrodden the proletariat the working class and uh, and so on oh, noble and heroic and and so on you can look at movies like the bicycle thief and all that for more on this kind of stuff and um so that's it's an argument for a perspective which is not uh, it's easy to to overlook i think that's where art is 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 best and most clearly defined and so, it is something which is random in the world is not art, because it is not a consciously directed and controlled argument for a perspective that is easy to overlook, but important. And, you know, there was old, there was an old, um, probably decades old now, but there was an experiment where they took buckets of paint and threw them into the jet stream of an idling jet engine and had a splatter against a canvas. Now, that is... I guess you could say an argument for a perspective that's often overlooked called modern art is <laughs> a kind of elaborate scam but um, that would uh, would not be art um, and uh, you know paintings by monkeys and elephants and so on sort of anti-art uh, and so on so you can tell a huge amount about someone by the art, by the music by the aesthetics That the person is bringing to the world,
2: and um, so what about say like scenery, like a kind of something that seemingly has no meaning or just aesthetic value? I mean, that's
0: but but no, scenery is too generic. Sorry, too generic a term,
2: because scenery could
0: be like if it's a vista of a garbage dump, uh you know, with like I don't know, dead animals and rats and you know what a garbage and so on then the, the artist is... Because the artist can choose anything. The artist can choose anything. I remember having a ferocious argument years ago with a friend of mine after we went to go and see the Ayn Rand play the night of January the 16th because the, uh, the, one of the bad guys is in a wheelchair. And uh, he was like, well, it doesn't have any meaning. You know, he's just you know equal opportunity. I said, no, it does have a meaning because if you, you don't have to have a character... In a play that you're making up, you can choose whether the character is uh, crippled or not, or is in a wheelchair or not. And the fact that you portray the character in a wheelchair says something about that uh, character. And that is, is... Everything in art is a choice. So you can paint anything you want. If you choose to paint something um, disgusting or gross or, or hideous or repulsive... I mean, I remember this is back in the days where there used to be like record stores and CD stores. I remember many, many, many years ago uh, flipping through an alternative record store and there was a um, – I think it was a – I don't know the name of the album because it just shocked and I recalled from it. Flipping through the albums in the racks and, and one of them had a severed penis on the, on the cover. Oh, That's repulsive. I mean, it's like, oh, to me, it's like a, 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 an electric shock to the, to the NADs, I guess. And of course, they could put anything they want on that cover. But the reality is, they choose to show something that is shocking and appalling and visceral and, and, and repulsive and, and so on. And um, these are all choices. So if there's a scenery, the question is well, what is being shown? If it's a beautiful fall visage, then the person is saying, well, here's something to rest your eyes on. Here's something to nourish your soul. Here's something to replenish your perhaps uh, scarce um, consumption of natural beauty, especially if you live in the uh, sort of urban center and so on. Then um, uh, that's your little oasis, right? If they paint something lovely, if they paint something ugly, then they're making an argument that, Ugliness is the essence of life. Everything else is an illusion, and this is what you need to focus on. You bourgeois pig, not you. But.
2: So the the intention of the artist, um, say they're not, obviously most likely not philosophically oriented or virtuous. They could be a talented artist and create, you know, something horrific and have one intention, and then somebody else could look at that and get a whole other kind of uh, inspiration from it rather than like what you said before, like the gloomy uh, picture of um, basically people in poverty and whatever, and you're supposed to feel bad. Someone else can look at that and say, um, well, that's obviously not true. And you get some, you don't, you're not inspired in the way you're supposed to be, but you're still inspired by it in, in a sense. If I don't know if that makes any sense.
0: Uh, it certainly has his, um, it certainly has its uh, power to to alter your mind and your mood. that sort of makes sense, Mike, could you do me a favor there 's a movie I never watched much of because I just found it too horrendous mm-hmm. but it 's Vigo Mortensen, otherwise known as Aragorn, uh, and um, he was in a movie it was sort of some post apocalyptic movie wherein he played a guy with his son who was, uh, and Clark, if you know this, let me know. Uh, and they were wandering around and there was cannibalism and just all kinds of horrendous stuff. The Road? It. I just, I, is, it, uh... is it called The Road? Yes, yeah, The Road. That's right. The Road.
1: Well, got lots the of road. nominations. I though.
0: thought it was about how people get around in a free society, but no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> or why will we make not have
1: a free society. The Road. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Did you see it?
1: No, it's on my Netflix queue, though, actually.
0: Oh, man.
1: Don't, do not have any
0: flesh-colored popcorn while you're uh, <laughs> watching that movie. I couldn't. I mean, I, I don't mind a good horror film. I mean, there's one with uh, Nicole Kidman called The Others. Great, great film. Uh, I don't mind a, a good horror film can be, can be really lots of fun. Um, the Ring was, was great and so on. And really good stuff. But this was just, oh, my God, horrendous. And um, I, couldn't, I couldn't get to too far into it. And, of course, they could have made any kind of movie they want. Viggo Morten, Mortensen also played um, A Dangerous Method. He played Sigmund Freud. Not massively well or anything, but um just watched that actually uh, last night. And they, the, the, the filmmakers could have poured everything that they have into creating something inspiring and beautiful and noble and heroic, and uh, instead they just put people in an endless series of unbelievably horrifying situations. And uh, that is uh, for no reason. Like Sophie's Choice, which, um, spoiler, there's some Holocaust stuff in it, uh, is – but at least that's a a sort of real historical reenactment or or event or series of events that they're trying to portray just how brutal – uh, all of that, those situations were in Europe, particularly, of course, for the Jews and the war. And all. So, there is some justification, like the Schindler's List thing, there is some justification to say, well, look, we're going back and showing something that happened It's important to remember. And, uh, but in this one, of course, since it's science fiction, it's all made up. And um, I just, it sort of reminded me, as I mentioned before, on the show when I was six or seven, we used to watch these movies in boarding school. And they gave us, like, The Incredible Journey and other movies that were all sweet and syrup and, and so on, and then they sprung Charlton Heston in Omega Man, which is a post-apocalyptic apocalyptic zombie chase, blow-up people. I think they just must have ordered the wrong movie. I mean, it was like basically violence porn for your lizard brain. And, uh, you know, the entire dormitory that night was just like, oh, oh, <laughs> can't sleep, too terrified even to talk. And um, so, yeah, I mean, it, the scenery can be anything. can be anything that you want. Can be any of the, And what you choose reveals both who you are and what you want to convey. Art is a way of conveying, I believe, unconscious emotional experiences to other people. It's a way of uh, making people like you, making people like yourself, for better or for worse. And um, in that movie, yeah, that, there's such a horror of existence in that movie that the person is basically saying, here, have a tasty slice of my childhood. Um, which I have not processed and therefore needs to be reenacted and extrapolated into the most gruesome kind of art imaginable. I'm sorry, Clark, go ahead.
2: Well, no, I was agreeing and um, kind of go back to um, a, a side question. I kind of had of um, like lowbrow art or lowbrow movies and things like that, such as things that are filled with propaganda. Um, I typically avoid stuff like that and then but to a degree you know it, it says a lot and I've learned a lot from it from consuming it just it gives you kind of a pulse almost of what people are thinking and what people demand I guess what people's
0: yeah people if you know what art yeah if you know what art is doing you know it's it's the like if you're a if you're a really well-trained and competent therapist then crazy people won't make you crazy because you know what they're doing, you understand their maneuvers, you understand their manipulations, you understand transference and counter-transference and all this kind of stuff that goes on in therapy. Yeah. And so you can spend your day with crazy people and not go crazy. At least a lot of them can. And so, it, it, but that's because they know what crazy is and they work at extracting its meaning and helping to make it saner and fixing the bad thoughts that lead to irrational emotions and so on. And so you can consume art – as an artistically aware person. That doesn't mean you have to be an artist. It just means be aware of what art is and what art does. You can consume it with great instruction, and it will not make you crazy. I mean, almost every single time I go to a movie, there is something unbelievably offensive to reason, truth, and virtue in it, if not most of it. But I know what it's trying to do. Yeah. I know what it's trying to do.
2: But so how do you and, like, Is that good? Like, for me, I'm, I'm usually... At that point, I would would like really like to get away from it, even though I know I think to a degree it can be empowering and maybe constructive for you to to um, to learn from it. But what is it? What is it that would make just the over? I mean, I guess it's a normal, overwhelming reaction to be kind of repulsed from it.
0: Right yeah no and it, and it is of course right I mean you have the emotional reaction but you know what the person is trying to do and you know the source of it yeah. uh, it's a lot of it is I have too much repetitive compulsion in my own life so I need to spread it with to other people through through art that tends to be I think the way that, that these kinds of things work there's an author William Styron who's a beautiful and terrifying writer he, he actually wrote the original Sophie's Choice and a bunch of other works and uh he wrote a book, I think it's called Darkness Visible, which was the, um, the memoir of his depression. And his depression was catastrophic, debilitating. I mean, he, he was in Paris, I think, receiving a literary award. Couldn't even make it up the podium. I mean, he was just crippled with it. And like a lot of writers who pour themselves into taking inner experiences and translating them to inflict and infect others with that which they have not processed, which is usually the literary and particularly the cinematic art, what they do is they so reproduce for others their own experience that they don't have to process it, although they do gain some respite from their own burdens by inflicting it on other people. You know, misery loves company, and that's a lot of what modern novels are, is I'm so fucking miserable that I'm going to pour it into artistically organized phrases designed to evoke the same horror in you so that we're all isolated from happiness and virtue. Uh, And that is, uh, to me, Anne-Marie MacDonald as well, staggeringly gifted writer. When you go through something like Fall on Your Knees, I mean, it is just a medieval horror show of human dysfunction and violence and predation and horror. And I mean, it's just its endless. And William Styron... It's been many years since I've read Darkness Visible. But if memory serves me right, he has no knowledge that he has any dysfunction. It takes someone else to point out that in the majority of his novels, at least one character commits suicide. He's like, wow, I'd never noticed that. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, it's, like, it's literally like the guy in my left foot at the end of the movie saying, someone says, hey man, you're in a wheelchair. And the guy's like, oh my God, I never noticed that. And it's like, how, how, how is that possible? And he's healed. If I, I mean, This is way off my memory. He's, he's watching some show and there are geese flying. He's like, oh, I feel better. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like that t- Tony Soprano lack of self-knowledge at the beginning of The Sopranos and the, the geese fly away and he has a panic attack and, you know, all that. And it's that lack of... So at least he goes into therapy, but... It's that staggering lack of self-knowledge. And the same thing happens in Girl Interrupted, which is an interesting movie. And um, in it, uh, the lead heroine is in an asylum. And and normally the way things work in these kinds of movies is she has some terrible secret, and she reveals the secret, she comes in contact with the secret, she understands the secret, and she loosens the secret, and then she is healed. Now, in that movie, there is no secret. There's no reason for her to be messed up. There's no causality. My bone is broken. Nothing hit it, right? <laughs> just, it just snapped on its own. At least that's the way I see it. I think there's always a cause to these kinds of things, but what do I know? I'm just an amateur on the internet. But there is an argument that the artist is putting forward, and, and the more unprocessed, the emotional raw material, the more vividly it is captured and portrayed in the minds and hearts of others. And this is why artists who pursue self-knowledge tend to diminish their creative output. I mean, before John Cleese went into therapy, he was hysterical. And then he did years of therapy and (laughs) got divorced endlessly and now has to go on the um, alimony chains tour of paying off lawyers and stuff but um, the, the, the pursuit of self knowledge is not fantastic for the production of art in my, again, in my opinion. And also uh, and, uh, you
2: know, yeah, it's, wouldn't it wouldn't kind of seem like, I know at least maybe in my experience when you kind of become aware of what you're doing you are um, doing disturbing sort of art and and it is part of your own process subconscious when you do kind of realize that you do at least in my opinion or in my experience you kind of feel almost guilty or like you don't want to reproduce that anymore and you and then, and then you have to get to the point where you where you really want to create something meaningful to you rather than just unprocessed garbage that is disturbing
0: yeah, no, I, I, there is less, you know, people act out what they can't express. And that's sort of where I think where acting out comes from. I don't have the words to say how angry and hurt I am, so I'm going to go get into fights and so on, right? And um, my art in particular has always been about the pursuit of self-knowledge, even the way, all the way from what I wrote in my 20s, Revolutions, which was about the man who decided to pursue um, a family rather than a revolution. Hey, <laughs> I wonder if that has any resonance in my life, right? That was because I knew how gifted I was in in language and and thinking and so on. Not gifted. I mean, worked hard for it and all, but, you know, how skilled I was even at that point. And I I really wanted to make that case, you know, use use your powers for the improvement of your personal life and the personal lives of people around you. Don't use it for the attempted reorganization of a social structure, which will only coalesce back to people's dysfunction as it always does or worse. And um, the God of Atheists is really around the pursuit of self-knowledge and the pursuit of connection and the slow exploration and the moral mapping of your social environment, the moral mapping of your social environment, which is really at the core of the God of Atheists. You can get these at freedomainradio.com books. I think that's the right. And the, the moral mapping of those around you is really essential. Nature places you almost by accident, obviously in your country, in your family, to some degree in your social circle if they come through the school that the government just happened to prop up near your house or your apartment. But at some point, to achieve wisdom, to achieve authenticity, to achieve independence, we must map the morals of those around us. So what is their relationship to truth, to virtue, to care, to concern, to support, to integrity? And that, of course, is the story of the God of Atheists is the children decide to morally map their social environment. And um, that to me was, I mean, that was exactly the process I was going through when I was working on the novel, was I was morally mapping my environment, those around me, those who fate, accident, circumstances had placed in my life. I began to look at them through the lens of voluntarism. And that was the story of my life during that time. And so there are, I think, some times in which the pursuit of self-knowledge, if your goal in the novel or in the movie is to to promote the pursuit of self-knowledge, then it can work. But I think that's why those novels remain quite uh, unusual.
2: So I guess it could bring me to my next question or sub-question, which is kind of more, you know, there's, there's art where... The meaning or the philosophy of it is more innuendo or subtle, and that it can get lost lost on most people. But obviously, that's a lot more—you get a lot more publicity or fame and just circulation if if it's that if you water down your message, basically. So.
0: Oh yeah, and if if you have provided the allegory of three of freedom through violence, yeah. then you have done wonderfully for the powers that be. I mean, this is my problem with The Matrix, right? The Matrix movies are, do you know how you become free? You download Kung Fu moves. <laughs> you know, that's, you, you go bullet time, which is quite different from Hammer Time, which is walking with baggy pants towards the creditors. But the the idea that you can uh, liberate the, the human freedom results from violence right this is the, the
2: so, so, so all war movies it's pretty like much every movie um, that's out today basically
0: yeah freedom is movie, is means. violence yeah freedom, freedom is violence you're just minding your own business something happens you go and kill people and everything's better right there's no it's just like fade and then the iraqis lived happily ever after and then the libyans lived happily ever after and then the afghanis lived happily ever just fade out uh, and so on i mean it's all madness and uh, nonsense and but but that's as far as a lot of people can go because most people will never use violence except in the service of the state right most people are not going to go and kill people unless they're drafted. Most people are not going to go and um, kidnap people unless the laws tell them to, and they happen to be one of the enforcers. And so, if you can, yeah, if you can get people to constantly associate liberty with violence, freedom with violence, well, then you have simply um, the, the, the only violence, sorry, the only freedom that violence serves is the freedom of the rulers to do whatever the hell they want. But to true freedom, as I've argued many times in the show, the only real freedom, the only true freedom, the only lasting freedom, is freedom from illusion. But that doesn't work well with a Glock, right? It doesn't really work that well at all. Uh, I think there, there was a movie my uh, therapist recommended that I watched called The Singing Detective. there was an original British one. I think there was a remake with uh, Mel Gibson and um, uh, I don't want to sort of get into the, all of it but it's a very sort of psychological film but the end of it is violence. The, uh, the freedom is violence and um, that is so tempting. The idea that, uh, that violence will set us free is so tempting but the idea that we should be free from and, and this is, sorry, this is why people get so upset when I talk about the against me argument and so on. Uh, my argument is that it is not violence that will set us free. The only freedom we can get is distance from those who support violence. It's the ostracism of the violent addicts, of the addicts to violence, that is the root of human freedom in the future. Yeah.
2: Well, like I, was, I was cutting in there. I just had to spit it out. But it's It's definitely... You, I see it in people's eyes, like they just, it's this sense of false empowerment, like they're living through these heroes and they kind of have this, um, imagining in their head, they're kind of seeing themselves as this all powerful guy who can just, you know, all of a sudden do whatever they want. But then, you know, when the movie's over, it's just back to being a slave. And then you got to watch another movie to kind of get that feeling back again. And it's like a, It's like an addiction and like a religion to an extent. Yeah, and
0: and in particular their recruitment for the necessary soldiers for the continuance of political power. Just all of these movies are priming you that when the word freedom uh, is used that you can use violence to serve the cause of freedom Um, because everybody says that the wars they wage are for freedom and to end war and to secure Lebensraum, living space, or, you know, whatever, fulfill the manifest destiny of whatever particular religious warlord is in the books close by. And uh, this all priming you up, and and that's all art that serves serves the masters. You know, and this is why you always see uh, the king is dead, long live the king, right? This is why in Macbeth, uh, the man, (laughs) uh, Macbeth can go and slaughter, you know, 500 peasants, And nobody bats an eye. In fact, he's cheered and uh, is given praise by the king. But he goes and kills one king. And suddenly, the the entirety of nature is thrown out of balance. And he can't sleep. And the only solution, of course, is not to say, well, perhaps we should stop having kings then. No, you see, the solution is for a new king to come and kill Macbeth. And that violence secures freedom, you see. It just... You know, you you kill someone and the world is free. And all of this programming is why people still genuinely believe that if they go and kill Saddam Hussein, that Iraq will be free. Because you see, the solution to a lack of freedom is a bullet. And that is why, you know, I think of these... Pictures you saw shortly after the invasion and destruction of everything to do with Iraq, uh, political structure, and uh, their genetics, particularly in Fallujah, these um, depleted uranium shells and their infrastructure and their educated class and, uh, and so on. But they had pictures of these Iraqis with their fingers dark with paint because they would go and vote, you see and then they would get their fingers marked with paint, so they didn't vote twice. And uh, everybody was like, oh look, you see, we killed the guy, and now everyone's voting, and they're free. And what's happened since? Well, this uh, ISIS has now captured a territory larger than England. And uh, where there's no freedom, you just Killed one guy and there's a reason why there's a reason why you had to have a tyrant in the neighborhood it's because you've got these irrational tribes with these religious absolutes that 's why you needed a secular tyrant. It was murderous. he was a horrifying man, of course, right but what's happened since it 's like what they did with the Shah of Iran in 1979 let 's get rid of the Shah. you see and because Americans don't know anything about their history. It's, all hidden from them. Well, not that hidden actually. The internet make it hard just to find. Rather
2: not look. They, rather, they have more important movies to watch.
0: Right, but they got rid of the Shah, and then who took his place it was the Ayatollah Khomeini who now, he's the Shah at least had some secular rational aspects to him, was willing to work with the West, and obviously a monster like all these guys, but was he better or worse than the Ayatollah Khomeini? Well, I think a lot of Iranians would say he was far worse, and if you look at the pictures of Iran in the 1970s versus the 1980s, it's like it's tumbled back 500 years in history. So, so much of art and action movies and Marvel Comics, and you know, there's a bad guy here. And the solution is never decentralization. The solution is never peace. The solution is never self-knowledge. It's always, if we pick up a bigger gun, we can bomb the shit out of our
2: way to freedom. And the casualties are unimportant.
0: And there's never any blowback. Yeah, Never any blowback. So you can go kill half a million Iraqis. There's never any blowback. You can go and destroy their genetic integrity of an entire population through DNA-destroying weaponry, and you're never going to end up with a hyperviolent generation coming up, both who have experienced this hellish warfare from Christians. See, they don't see... <laughs> it's a religious conflict for a lot of people in the middle. They don't see Americans as much as they do Christians. Right? In, in the same way that... America, when like most of the hijackers on 9-11 were from Saudi Arabia, did anyone say, damn those Saudi Arabians? No, they said those Muslims. Well, it's not that different for the Muslims. They look and they see all these bombs, and they're saying, these bombs have Jesus on them. The airplanes are powered by angel wings from the Christian heaven, and the bombs are not so much turn-the-other-cheek missiles, from Christianity. And people wonder why they they grab and kill these Christians. It's not complicated. It's only complicated if you have no idea what's going on. And then what happens when you genetically compromise an entire population? Well, they have kids and those kids grow up genetically compromised which means less impulse control, higher levels of aggression, lower levels of intelligence, and then we wonder why there are all of these people who suddenly seem very keen to be joining in these crazy religious extremist groups. Well, you bomb people enough, you screw up there. And of course this was happening in the, uh, the, the Gulf War as well. First Gulf War in the 90s, right? I mean, there were lots of Gulf War syndrome, like 300,000 or more American troops came back with unspecified medical issues from these crazy weapons well this is where this is what you're doing to the population i mean a lot of the islamic uh, it's fine to marry your cousin stuff doesn't exactly help with the genetic integrity of the region either but neither do the massive gene destroying weapons deployed by the west so anyway Listen, I'm sorry we moved off topic. i got to get to the next caller because we've got a big show for tonight. But uh, Clark, a great set of questions. I hope we did some use. Mike, do we have a name? I, I know I shipped that podcast, but I can't remember. Yeah, I'll actually, have a number.
1: Uh, I'll put it out this week. I haven't got a chance to go through and, and edit it yet, but we'll put it out this week and probably be the philosophy of art or what is art, something of, of that nature. But yeah, look for that in the podcast feed
0: this coming week. Yeah, and people can have a lot of fun just wondering how my opinion has changed in 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> it's not
2: even close. Anyway. Basically, like somebody whose who's determination is to spread virtue or epitomize virtue. If, I were, if I'm completely honest with my art, it's, it's very, you know, repelling to most people, so... And this is more or less your, just your opinion, but you think it's more effective to kind of, to do the subtle innuendo where you're kind of sneaking it in there where it will, most people won't notice it, but certain people, cause I know, you know, in my experience being a movie watcher and stuff like that, I, certain things would make me think. So I, I see a lot of use in that. And then, you know, if there was a, if there was a movie that was, or art or writing or something that was straightforward, I would probably not even want to approach it. So
0: I'm, just, I don't get the question. If you could boil it down. Well,
2: which one, which, which, uh, which strategy, I guess would be more effective to do really bold, like in your face, just a hundred, just a hundred percent focused on maybe say if it was writing, like writing about how you, the situation is going on right now with. society being controlled basically and where we're heading in the future or maybe do something more entertaining where you're sneaking it in little little oh i would
0: say you know you can't really command your artistic centers that much i mean if you could command your artistic centers then paul mccartney wouldn't have gone like 30 years without a hit and Pink Floyd's last song would not have been like, "Oh wow. <laughs> you guys are basically just retreading the '70s, but without any innovation." So you, you can' you've you got to follow your muse, right? Artists, the creation is a dance between conscious purpose and unconscious inspiration. In my experience, uh, you, you have to dance with it. You've got to get the juice of the unconscious inspiration, but you also don't want to blarp stuff on the page because you don't know where it's going to take people. And I think as an artist, you have a particular responsibility to try and make the world uh, a better place. You know, somebody who's a nutritionist also knows what will do you harm, and their job is to try and do you good and not say an old diet uh, snorting MSG and cocaine is the way to go so that you're hyper and fat at the same time. And uh, artists, um, you, you've got a conscious control. It's like, it's like riding a wild horse. You know, you've got to know what the hell you're doing. Sometimes the horse is going to take you where the horse wants to go, but you've got to try and give the horse some direction at the same time. So the idea that you can sort of pick and choose from a buffet and say, well, I want to do this kind of art or I want to do that kind of art. It's like, I don't know, where does the horse want to go? And just try not to get your head taken off by a low-hanging tree branch. And uh, I think <laughs> you have done a good job. I mean, there's times I, I wrote this giant novel which I really am going to um, get out uh, in a more digestible format, a giant novel, like three hundred and eighty thousand words about a German family and a British family from World War One to World War II. And in the po- in the process of writing that book, I found out what the book was about, you know, part, partly through doing it. And there were times when insights came to me about the book and the characters through the speeches of the characters. literally gave me goosebumps. I remember I used to sit in Starbucks and, and write with uh, headphones on and all that. And that uh, dance is is really important. In order for it to be alive, you can't command it. And I think that that's sort of my uh, issue to some degree with Ayn Rand's. Writing is that it is so consciously controlled, it is so dictated to. You know, it's an old line from a <laughs> talking head song, you know, everybody get in line. And I thought that was sort of how Ayn Rand, like, lined up her words like Roman soldiers, <laughs> you know, the phalanx, you know, hey, you get back in line. And she had such a, a, a rigid control over her writing that it was more geometrical. Than Wondrous, and again a, a wonderful writer and and a very powerful theoretician and a great a great at plot. That is always my particular weakness of of many as an artist, but but that uh, I couldn't pursue that level of control over my art. Now that may be entirely wrong. I mean, she's an infinitely more successful novelist than I am, but that was not what I wanted to do. I wanted there to be a dance. I, I didn't want to, like she tamed the horse to the point where it was half horse, half glue. <laughs> and I just wanted to to ride the horse more and have it be a two-way street. And I think that's where, for me, the greatest creativity come from. But of course the reality is, you know, um, I've sold, <laughs> I've had more podcasts downloaded than she's sold novels, which is, doesn't mean anything. But she sold Infinitely more novels than I have, so um, you know she could be entirely right. But I'm just telling you sort of my perspective. All right, man. Thanks, well, Clark. Yeah, I, thank I really you. appreciate the call.
2: But yeah. uh, let's move on. Very helpful and inspiring as always. Thank you.
0: All right, thanks,
1: Clark. Up next is William. William wrote in and said, "How do I apologize to someone while at the same time conveying the responsibility of others without it coming across?" <laughs> as a bullshit non-apology, or BNAP, baby.
0: <laughs> BNAP, baby. Right, right. Um, do you have a particular example that may not be wildly theoretical that you'd want to... Uh,
3: yes, of course I do. Um, first of all, I'd just like to say uh, I'm uh, really nervous right now, um, but uh, I think I'll make through it. Uh, oh, thank you. So- I appreciate that uh the question refers to my family, my uh siblings actually, I am the oldest of uh five siblings, and uh as we were growing up, I was uh an abusive older brother uh, oh. and uh especially coming into my late teenage years i uh uh, was really violent and had lots of uh, rage problems uh, with my father, especially. And uh, I believe I've trauma- uh, traumatized them or uh, traumatized who? My, uh, especially my my younger brothers. I think I've uh, I've really hurt. Um, and I I don't know. I. Uh, uh, I have tried to apologize, uh, but I don't think I have done enough. Uh,
0: and I. What would in? Hang on. So, can you just give me? You don't have to get into details if you're not comfortable. But what? Um, what would they complain about if they were on this show about what you did? What would they say you did? That was. Um,
3: tough? Well, uh, they would say that. As we were growing up, were uh, especially referring to the incident with me and my father, he, uh, one of my brothers, he said that uh, uh, his whole life was uh, turned upside down uh, during this time. And, uh, he and what was the incident no, with your father? Well, we were fighting for two years' time uh, in the household. Uh, the... Uh, Police came to us like four times. And, uh,
0: oh, like physical fighting as well, right?
3: Y- yeah, yeah, physical fighting. Wow. And uh, he uh, tried to get in between us several times, but I wouldn't listen. I just pushed him aside and continued to provocate and uh,
0: be angry. And uh, uh, And what were you he, fighting with your father about?
3: Well... As I've come to realize later what the reason was, I think that my mother, who is uh, is behind this uh, to some degree, she would always criticize my father and uh, always uh, nag on how horrible he is, how unloving he is, how, uh, you know, it's like uh, she never had an end to say about the horrible things about my father and
0: uh, have I you ever seen i'm sorry to interrupt william have you ever seen the movie do the right thing it's a spike lee movie no i haven't well if you ever do see it rosie perez plays like this shrill critical horrendous is like i could date you or i could go be a fisherman i'll go be a fisherman <laughs> so that kind of shrill female nagging oh yeah, yeah it can be definitely be chalk uh, nails on a on a chalkboard right
3: yeah, yeah, and it's never ending like uh it would uh, start from the time she came home from work and and by the time we were going to bed, you know. It's uh uh very tragic actually. Um but the thing he would say, my brother, uh he would say that he he had uh, no time to do his homework because his whole existence was in a fight-or-flight uh, state, any time there could be a fight with his brother and his father, anytime time there could be, you know, something thrown against the wall, and uh, there was, like, this sort of, like, war-like atmosphere in the house, and uh, it's something I really regret right now, but... Um, I do know that. Still,
0: still, I'm still very murky on what you and your father were fighting about. You mentioned that your mom was a nag to your yeah. father, I assume, or also to you.
3: Well, of course, yeah. She would uh, nag almost all the, the male members of the household. <laughs> she would uh, be uh, quite against, and uh, uh, so yes, uh, but. Uh, I think that at, when I uh, got angry at my father, I got some respect from my mother. Like I was on her side, I got her empathy, or I don't know what the word I would use. No, anymore, I, but, no, no, uh,
0: no, no, no. Don't don't give me empathy with a chronic no, nag. No, no, no yeah. sorry. <laughs> you, no, you, what it means right. is that now it could be it could be that you were acting out your mother's rage against your father, right? Because so, there's an yeah. old there's an old cliche which goes way back in in time which is that men seek to gain dominion over the world and women seek to gain dominion over people, in particular yeah. over men. Yeah. And uh, th- there's obvious reasons for that. I mean, it, it, traditionally throughout the evolution of the species, men were the source of resources for women. And we always try to gain control over our resource source, which is why we plant fruit trees and, and we have cows and we don't just wait for them to wander in and give us some milk, right? We, we try to gain control over the source of our survival yeah. uh, is why we build igloos and, and have heaters in our houses. And all. We, we try to gain control over that, which we need to survive the source of our resources. And traditionally throughout history, um, for men that's been trying to gain control over the material world, which gives you, you know, science, technology, the free market, uh, tablets, all that kind of cool stuff. Um, whereas for women, it's been trying to gain control over, uh, men as the source of, of their resource. And um, that is... Uh, uh, it, it, you sound like you come from a kind of traditional household, if you don't mind me saying so. Uh, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, that can occur. Now, this doesn't mean that that, that means that all women are nags. Because there's ways to gain control over a resource that, that can be very positive. You know, my... Like, uh, my what? Well, I mean my wife tells me to do something, and I'm like, I, yeah, <laughs> for the most part, right? <laughs> I yeah. mean, I, I love and respect and worship her so much that, uh, it, you know, I, we have this joke, like, well, I can't remember the last time you were wrong, so I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna take your thoughts on this as gospel. And so, so I, I have some sway over people, um, you know, they listen to my arguments, and you know, after a certain amount of time, if I've been relatively rational for a relative amount of time, then people will start to take um, some of my arguments at face value. And I don't know whether it's a good or a bad thing. It's an inevitable and natural thing. Yeah, It's an inevitable and natural thing that the more you grow to trust people, the less you have to double check and verify everything that they're saying and doing. Mm-hmm. And that is... Um, so that's a really, so you can gain quote control over someone through extremely positive and virtuous behavior, yeah. or you can just browbeat them until it's easier for them to do what you want than submit yeah. to more browbeating.
3: Yeah, into if that makes sense. Or yeah.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, sense. you're calling in for some thoughts from me, I assume it's because you've listened to these shows before, you found yeah. my thoughts or feedback to be of some value, and so so I'm at least have, quote, controlled you to the point where this is what you're doing with your time at the moment, right?
3: Yeah, right, you're not uh, you're not nagging me into, into this. I'm not, or, like, yeah. like yeah. man,
0: you've got to call into philosophy, yeah. philosophy will help you, come <laughs> on, man, just call in. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, man, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where's that fishing rod? right so right. that that's sort of what i want to say so when when i say that men want to gain control over their environment uh, you can do that by going and and killing other men and taking their stuff or you can do that by trading on the free market and gaining some control over your environment by providing like what i was saying in in a recent sort of job interview thing it's like job security means you're producing more than you're consuming significantly more than you're consuming so then you have control over your job Now, that doesn't mean that the economy might shift and, and, or, you know, know, managers might invest in, uh, you know, tulip mania in in the Netherlands or something. So things might still go to the shitter, but you're exercising positive control over your own employment if you just make sure that you're providing a lot more value than you're consuming in your job. Now, that's one way you can gain control over your environment. The other is that, you know, you can seduce your boss and then threaten her with a sexual harassment suit. Unless she gives you a raise, right? I mean, these are both ways of, quote, exercising control. But one is good and one is not, right? So,
3: yeah. So carrot and stick so, or,
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is good versus evil, right? I mean, you, yeah. you can get a candy bar by trading or by stealing, right? And and you can, um, you know, Allah John Fowles, the collector, you can get a woman to spend time with you by chloroforming her and locking her up in a windowless van, or you can be appealing enough that she voluntarily wants to <laughs> spend time with you. Yeah. And so the fact that women want to control the resources that, that men provide and control the men doesn't have anything. To, it's not a negative judgment. Right? So the fact that your mom has this impulse doesn't, yeah. doesn't, doesn't mean that she was going to end up nagging. I'm just saying that there's a driver. Now she obviously took the Darth Vader path to familial control or to resource control as opposed yeah. to a, a you know a nicer and way you know, of doing it in,
3: uh, in our uh, household, or as my father, uh, as it relates to my father, uh, the one who hits the table the loudest gets the say, or the one who sure. screams the most, or the, the one of our siblings who makes the most fuss about something gets her will through. Like he he would just mm-hmm. cave through, and <laughs> even though he'd he'd promise something to one child, he would. He would, uh, if another child would scream louder, he would change it. And so the one right. who, who screamed the most was the one who got got the way, um, which wasn't productive for, for our uh, uh, childhood, I think. And
0: uh, Well, it is productive if... It's productive for the person who is the most comfortable with thumping and screaming, right? Yeah. I mean, if you have pride, self-respect... And so on then, thumping and screaming is yeah. not exactly the way that you want to get what you want in your personal relationships, right? It's fine right. to yell at evil or whatever, right? But you don't sort of scream at people, right? But but if if you don't have any good skills or you're not that smart or you, you can't make your case or whatever, then yeah, you're going to want the thumping and screaming to carry the day, right?
3: Yeah. And usually, actually, it gave it came into my advantage because I was the oldest and strongest and tallest. But... Right now, I I don't I don't envy older <laughs> like at what was an advantage in my childhood I think is a disadvantage now because I really regret um, being the oldest you know because of my uh, abusive uh, past you know. Um, now,
0: were you abusive towards your brothers directly, <clears throat> or was it mostly just indirectly?
3: Well, I was. Directly as well, um, but mostly it was uh, like verbal abuse and uh, um, some some physical. Uh, but yeah, mostly mostly verbal things and teasing and mocking and you know. Uh,
0: and why would you do that? Do you think? Um, what was the goal? What was the driver behind that? I
3: don't know if it and, was and I, like, and like um, I
0: just you know my history, power right? So or, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry, just just to be just to be clear. Like I mean I sort of always had this idea that children who are suffering under abusive parents should be like, you know, Samwise and Frodo, you know, just yeah. uh, cling together and get through Mordor together, not turn on each other and it's like uh, I'll be Sauron and yeah. you be the Shire. You know, so yeah. uh, my that that's just my particular thought about it I've never and, and so if you could help me to understand this would be great like I've never quite got why the elder siblings yeah, in a traumatic household turn on the younger siblings I mean shouldn't, shouldn't you all just cling together
3: yeah I know and uh, actually I'm, I'm uh, crying right now <laughs> like uh,
0: no and I appreciate that sensitivity I've heard, I've heard I really you, do I've, I mean that's yeah. very very noble and brave of you so so what was the driver well, do you think <sighs>
3: I don't know what was the driver, um, but I've heard you speak about like this thing that you should protect each other, you know. And I really regret it now, when I, I can't, I can't put my finger on the driver. It was like some sort of uh, like an itch. You can't apologize.
0: You can't. Like, but you can't apologize. I would say, authentically until you know, because then in, y- yeah. you know, if you don't know why you did it, then no one can trust you to not do it again. Yeah. Did you know? Then that that's the that's the protection granted to others by your pursuit of self knowledge. So if you say, "Well, I'm really really sorry," part of the foundational implication of an apology is a commitment to not do it again, right? But if you sure, say, sure. "Well, I'm sorry that I did it. I have no idea why I did it," then you cannot yeah. extend the apologies. Are not about the past; they're about the future, because you can't change the past. Uh-huh. And and the reason okay. that we apologize to others is for the sake of the commitment to not do the harmful behavior again in the future. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I think you're having trouble with the apology if you don't know what the driver was for the cruelty towards your siblings because you experienced cruelty at the hands of your father, you experienced verbal abuse or nagging at the hands of your mother, so you knew exactly how painful it was and you were actually experiencing it in the moment. I'm sure your parents had terrible childhoods too, but this is 20 years after the fact or more, right? Yeah. So that's my question is what was the driver of turning to harm the weakest when you as weaker than your father knew exactly what it felt like
3: I think that it was to le- like lessen the burden off of me like it was like some some
0: no, curse or no I don't know. no that's that's a very uh, hallmark response which means well that sounds credible but wouldn't yeah. isn't it true to say william that your burden would have been infinitely lessened had you experienced um, support, uh, kindness, uh, gentleness, yeah. compassion. From like that would have eased right. your burden considerably more. Is that fair yeah. to say?
3: It it would have been ten times better. Actually, it would have been.
0: Uh, no, no, that's not correct. It would have been infinitely better because what you did was yeah. worse. Right. Yeah. That's like saying exercise is ten times better than smoking.
3: <laughs> yeah
0: right, smoking is not even in the category of, of exercise no. right no um, if you had protected your siblings if you had turned to them and they and you had all supported each other in the face of the dysfunctional parenting that you were experiencing yeah that was a possibility but there's a reason that did that even cross your mind at the time Or I,
3: I don't know if it crossed my mind but I probably was nice in between being bad, you know. Um,
0: well, but that's even and, worse, right? But. Because uh, that, that's you know, to lower people's defenses, right?
3: Yeah, maybe it is. That's
0: what the nice cop is for, is, is to, like, you. When you switch between nasty and nice, that's to rebond, to rebuild yeah. trust so that you can break it again, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think I. I fell into that, uh, being nice and then being bad. But um,
0: uh, Fell into that. Do you see how you got real passive with that phrase?
3: Yeah, I did. Like the
0: ground just opened up beneath you and you fell into that?
3: Yeah. It's, uh,
0: I don't know. Uh, So why? why? Why was this the approach you took? And please understand, I'm not... Trying to blame you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to judge. I'm like I'm that was, that's why I was open about my history and curiosity, right?
3: Yeah, yeah. You're trying to help. Uh, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, it's talking, a huge I, question. Uh, I feel sort of uh, like clueless to to the origins. Or I, I mean, I know it has to do with my my upbringing and the, the role models I had for being a good uh, like guardian or being a good uh, role model. You know, it's. Um, yeah, you know my my parents didn't help. You know they didn't like show me how to do. Oh, it listen, how.
0: William, I, uh, to 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 give you, I mean the the facts of the matter, at least as far as I see them. Yeah. If you'd had decent parents, you, this wouldn't have ever come up in you. Yeah. Right. So I'm not blaming you. I'm not sort of saying, well, you know, out of nowhere, you just turned mean to your siblings, right? I mean, I get mm-hmm. that that your parents were. The driver behind this. yeah. But, but the question still must be answered for your future. For your future. Yeah. You can't do anything about what happened when you were a teenager. But for your future, William, you must try and find a way to understand what the driver was. Because if you don't know what the driver was for this cruelty in you, then you will never be able to trust yourself with loved ones in the future. Okay. Sounds like I'm putting some voodoo curse on you. But yeah, you if are. you don't know why <laughs> no, you were bad. No, but if you don't know why you were bad, then you won't know how to stop it. Like if I have some epileptic attack and crash my car and I don't know what the hell happened, what should I not do? Drive a car. Um, but if it was like, like, oh, here are yeah, the specific courses and it's been remediated, then I can drive a car again. But if I don't know why I crashed something like I had a yeah. relative many, many years ago who was a pilot and Fainted while coming in for a landing. Wow. Hundreds of people on the plane. Never allowed to fly again because they, they couldn't figure out what happened. Yeah. Now, if it was like, oh, he's diabetic and if he has his insulin, he won't faint, then I don't know what the rules are, but it would imagine that there would be some leniency there. But because they never figured out medically what happened, it's like, sorry, man. Right? So if you don't know the cause, mm-hmm. then you can't trust right, yourself with people's hearts in the future.
3: Yeah, and, and you know I uh, I haven't been to a therapy or or any any good therapy at least so I I don't
0: oh we'll get there the... <laughs> we'll solve it <laughs> no we'll solve okay. it but but you yeah. got to engage right you got to stop uh, making excuses yeah. and avoiding you got to engage right mm-hmm. well, so what can you happened, like ask some, what happened for leading... you yeah no I'll, don't worry I'll give you some hopefully not deleting questions but yeah. before you were cruel to your siblings and. Again, just to reiterate, I'm incredibly sorry for the relationship with your father and your mother, and I fully sympathize with all of that. Yeah. But you know how bad that was, and I think you have some ideas of, as to why with them. But was it – I'm trying to sort of figure out. So you're, you're, you're not being cruel, and I assume you're not feeling like being cruel all day and all night, right?
3: No, of course not. Yeah,
0: okay. Enjoyed- so you're not feeling – yeah, you're not feeling like being cruel – And then something happens and you uncork this cruelty. This cruelty arises within you. Can you think of anything specific that happened or something you saw or some variable in the environment that Um, triggered this cruelty?
3: Well, it was like... I can remember the time when I really, really bullied my sister uh, at the age of uh, when I was uh, like... uh, uh, Ten, I think. I knew that. And how old is she? And she would be eight at the time. I would just get angry because she was happy. Like if she was mm. laughing or or something, I would uh, like I would actually hit her and call her like ugly or something. And you know, uh, yeah, abuse her because she was happy. Like. That was the only right.
0: reason. So. It's like that song, uh, I see a red door and I want to paint it black. Right, wherever there's color, wherever there's life. Yeah. No colors anymore, I want them to turn black. And so where you saw joy, what did that evoke in you? What was the feeling there? What was the thought?
3: Like... uh Anger or or jealousy or like uh, some some visceral uh, rage or something that I couldn't let her have, you know, because I wasn't feeling it, so she she had to not feel it. Uh,
0: no, it's not that you weren't feeling it. That's not strong enough.
3: Uh,
0: because you know, if if I see if I'm sort of feeling just you know mellow or whatever, and somebody's like. Overjoyed. I'm not feeling overjoyed in that moment, but I don't hate them for it, right?
3: Yeah. But uh, I don't know if this is the answer to the question, but I I remember, like... uh, It sounds horrible now, but I remember, like, feeling good doing it. Like, I remember...
0: Oh, no, no, I get that, but let's get back... uh, Of course, you did it for a reason. It made you feel better than the alternative. Yeah. But so she's happy and this i think it's fair to say this visceral bloodshot darkness arises within you right yeah and you wish to destroy her happiness yeah to make her into you
3: yeah to 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 make the abuse that my parents did
0: yeah, we talked our, earlier about how art was the, tr- the transmission of unconscious, unprocessed material. In this case, yeah. your art was your fist, right?
3: Yeah. But the, but the horrible thing is it would be like our parents abused us all, you know, so they would get double from me and from them. Like, it's, it wouldn't be fair. Right?
0: Okay, so let's get back to... That's very analytical, and I want to get back to the emotion, the visceral, because the best apologies come from a place of emotional certainty. Sure. She was happy. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: In that moment, did you believe you would have a chance to be happy?
3: Probably.
0: no that's not a that's a theoretical answer you got to get back to the state of mind at the time right so you see your sister she's happy she's dancing she's proud of her picture she's dressed up looking like a gypsy she's um, having a tea party with her stuffed animals whatever she's doing right and she's happy Mm -hmm. did you believe that you could be happy like her in that moment
3: No, not unless I, she wasn't, or uh, I mean.
0: No, no. I listen. You can't put your happiness at destroying her happiness in the same category. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because that's not happiness. That's sadism, right?
3: Sure. Well, uh,
0: because, because so look now and, and I believe, what I mean, like no no I'm uh, let's go back to the time go back to the time I know it's hard but this is where you need to come from if you want to have an apology that really resonates with people, in my opinion. Why not join her in her game, and be happy, with her? That's my question. Right. You had a belief about your capacity for happiness. Like, if I see a bunch of people laughing and joking, uh, speaking Mandarin, I don't speak Mandarin, what is, my, what is my chance of joining in their fun? Zero. Zero, right? Zero. Yeah. Now, that's a leading question, but my question is, what chance did you think you had to join her in her happiness?
3: Yeah, well, I thought that I couldn't, I guess. I, I couldn't
0: join it. Listen, podcast, William, but. if you want to do this theoretical, like this is some hand puppet show on Mars, you can't do this conversation with me. You've got yeah. to step into your heart, right? Because you're giving yeah. me all of these, well, I suppose, theoretically, blah, 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 right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: If you want to have a conversation about this stuff, I mean, I'm really, really happy to do it. Not happy like yay, but it's important. But... You've got to step up to your own conversation. This is your topic, right? Yep. You've got to open your heart to this topic. I know it's dark stuff. I know it's dark stuff. But if you want to trust that you won't do it again, you have to feel how painful it was to do it in the first time, which means you've got to embrace the dark, right? You've got to crawl right up the ass of the devil yeah. and take a view from his eyes, right? Your sister is happy. Yeah. What's her name?
3: Uh, Well, we'll call her Sarah.
0: Sarah is happy. Sarah is happy. She's dancing, she's having fun, she's giggling. Why can't you join her? Why can't she teach you about happiness? Why do you have to inflict misery on her? Why can't she teach you about happiness? What happens if you're happy at the age of 10?
3: What happens if I'm happy? Maybe, like, if I'm happy, then my mother will nag on me or my father will... Be...
0: Are you connected to what you're saying or not? Are you giving me more theoreticals?
3: Yeah, I'm giving you more theoreticals.
0: Okay, stop that. Stop that. Is this not one of the most central issues in your life?
3: Yeah, I would say it was, it was one of my...
0: It is That's probably the most central issue in your life. Yeah. Because you did great harm to your siblings, and you were harmed. I'm, I'm not trying to gloss over that, but you did great harm to your siblings mm-hmm. who were innocent of the harm done to you. Right? It was not your sister's fault that you were abused. But she suffered for it. And that becomes hard to hate your abusers when you've done what they've done with the excuse of being 10 and not 40, but you know what I mean, right? Yeah. So, what would happen if you were to say something like this to your sister when you were 10 and she was 8 and she was happy and you were in hell? If you were to say to her, Sarah, I can't tell you what a black pool of widening darkness my heart has become on seeing your happiness. Do you know I genuinely believe and I'm genuinely terrified at the endless nihilism of my endless days and I don't think that I'm ever going to ever have the chance to be as carefree and happy over my next eighty years as I saw you being over the last 80 seconds. And seeing your carefree joy brings me right up against my darkest impulses because I want to smash it from the world. I want to smash your happiness from the world as an affront to my misery. I don't know if it's some weird, misguided goal to protect you. To, to have you hide your happiness from the dark forces that have engulfed us against our will, against our choice. I don't know if your light makes my darkness visible to me. I don't know if your joy. And it's not my misery that I'm scared of. It's not my unhappiness. That I'm scared of It's my hatred It's my desire to disassemble you Like a broken robot Piece by piece And to turn you into me And to loose you then As I will be loosed on the world To disassemble other people And turn them into black Lego bricks Of endless dysfunction I don't know what is driving Me to feel this way But I see your happiness And I want to shred it I want to tear it limb from limb I want to destroy it I want to destroy you And I know, I know, that will only give me the tiniest and most momentary relief from the hell that is me. But I am so bitter and I am so broken that I will take even the slightest gap in the blackness. Like a man drinking from a moose track in the woods because he's so thirsty. I don't care how much bacteria is in there. If I don't drink something, I feel I'm going to die. And I know that harming you, breaking you, wet fingering out your candle wick of joy will only give me a slight, slight relief for my own existence. But I will take that because I don't know if there will ever be anything else for me, what do you think she would say to something like that?
3: I don't know what she would say. She would.
0: Well, what would you say to someone like that if someone said something like that to you?
3: I would probably. Sorry, I said probably again <laughs> I would uh, give them a hug and say i I appreciate your honesty and your your
0: and what would you feel if someone said that to you I would feel
3: sad for for them or and what else. Not not angry or anything, but sad. It's the uh, yeah, feeling I would get. Um.
0: And I I'm not going to disagree with any of that, but I think that there's an element that. Is there that you're not aware of? I, I, I'm just saying. I think I don't know. If somebody who lived in your house and would live in your house for the next ten sorry, years,
3: sorry, I, I got uh, disconnected.
0: <laughs> uh, yes, allegorically uh, sorry. or uh, I... okay.
3: I got the, okay. Yeah, no, I no, got but, disconnected
0: literally. No, so I, I think, I'm just saying, I think, I don't know, but I think that there is an element that you're not connecting to. And I, I could be wrong. So don't make me, don't let me make you feel that there's something missing if there's nothing missing. But I'll tell you, my feeling, William, would be if somebody was in my house who wanted to destroy my happiness and was going to be living in my house for the next 10 years, do you know what I would also feel? Yeah. Because That's you course. gave very sentimentalized and abstract, like, oh, feel sad or sympathy or give that person a hug and so on. It's like, man, William, I move into your house. I say, I'm gonna, I want, really, really want to hurt you. I really, really want to destroy any chance of happiness that you might have. And I'm going to be here for the next 10 years. When you come home from work, when you wake up in the weekends, when you go to bed at night, when you're sleeping, I'm going to be here and I want to destroy you. Now, if you can empathize with other people's fear of you, then, then you can make an apology mean something. Yeah. Does that yeah. make sense?
3: It does make sense, yeah. And I've, well, this, this one sister, uh, Sarah,
0: I have
3: apologized uh, about
0: no. no, 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 come back, come back. No, the, no, yeah. no, you're going into abstract self-justification land. Uh huh. Right? What I said was if you can connect with how much you frightened them, your apology will mean something. And now you're telling me that you already have apologized, though you haven't connected with how much you scared them.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's what's missing, I think.
0: Yeah, Yeah, so so don't (laughs) start justifying things.
3: Yeah. So.
0: And what's uh, your relationship to joy at the moment? uh, Let me ask you this I mean, I do some joyful casts, right? I I have fun with what I'm doing. I'm passionately committed, to, <laughs> or should be committed to what I'm doing. Um, yes. When you hear me enjoying myself in a podcast, what's your emotional experience with that?
3: Yeah, it's fun. I like to listen to uh, your jokes. Some jokes, <laughs> not all, but yeah. yeah.
0: I I agree I with like, that.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, I,
0: I'm very laugh. much you uh, know I, I'm not. A, I'm not a sniper. I'm basically like, if I shoot enough times, I'm going to hit something. That's my, yeah. my judgment. <laughs> but, yeah. um, so, so, when I'm happy, this doesn't offend your sensibilities as much, right?
3: Of course not. No.
0: Why? I, you say, of course not, like, well, I hated the happiness of my siblings. Your happiness is great. Right. Well, what's, the what's the difference? The
3: difference is, i think uh, my my age or my 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 growth i think i've changed uh from despising happiness to enjoying it or i i quite you know i i i don't i don't feel uh, jealous or or anger anger when i see people having a good
0: time i i don't have that uh no, now you give look. We all feel that sometimes. Uh, yeah. I mean, th- everybody feels that. Like if you, if you just, I don't know, it can be as simple as you have a headache.
3: Uh huh.
0: Right, and and people are like roller skating, with music in their ears. I yeah. mean, I think we all feel that. It's not a constant thing, but I think there's always a resentment that that happens from time to time, mm-hmm. when. Other people are doing well, and, and we're not in that space for whatever reason, right? Yeah. So I, you, this I, is what I, I mean. You're giving me these abstractions. You're painting with this wide brush, and I'm asking for detail. I just... Mm-hmm. I don't feel that. Like, I just... You know what I mean? <laughs> I think that's a human being alive who doesn't... What is it? Uh, <laughs> Gore Vidal said, it is not enough that we succeed. Our friends must also fail. Now, that's obviously pretty petty, yeah. and I yeah. don't agree with that. But But we we do all have some of that in us, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, of course.
0: But you're just giving me this, no, 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 I'm, I'm love. happiness is great, I love happiness. Mm.
3: It's just I can't remember the last time it happened. Maybe it's happened and I don't remember it, but...
0: Uh, all right, well, let's go back to 10, because this is, uh, I don't, don't want to get these commercials, right? This is like Super Bowl break time, right? So, so William, let's yeah. go back to when you were 10. Mm-hmm. I know, I got it. Finally the plug goes in the socket. Okay.
3: Wait, like literally when you
0: when or? you when you are 10 and your uh-huh. sister Sarah is happy no. you are not happy, right?
3: Correct. Yes.
0: If she were very kind, let's just go on a tour of Crazy Town, which is not irrational, right? Let's let's just go with the premise. So you're miserable and she's happy. Mm -hmm. If she cared about you, what would she do?
3: Yeah, Invite me to
0: play with her or be with her and do something or... No. No. So if I'm... Let me me give you an example, right? So when I was... The... I don't know, it's so fucking long ago, who knows what the year, I, was, I think I was seven or eight years old, and I, I lived in the kind of environment which is incomprehensible to young people these days, for the most part, unless you live out in the country, which basically is, go out with no money, find kids to play with, and come back at like seven o'clock. It would be like 4 o'clock. Just, just go out at the age of 7. Just go out into the neighborhood. Find some go Do do whatever. Just don't be home. Mm-hmm. And these days, I mean, it's like this weird gulag <laughs> apicalago childhood where you know, people have, you've got to be modest. You gotta, even though it's way safer for kids now than it was when I was a kid. It was basically just you have no money. Just go out and find someone to do. And we, we would go into the woods and we'd play war or we'd build forts or we'd, we'd um, do treasure hunts or hide and go seek or whatever. We had Nobody had any money. You didn't go to movies. <laughs> we used to go Saturday mornings for 10 pennies. You'd be able to watch a bunch of shorts and, and cartoons and stuff. But anyway, so you'd go out at the age of seven, you'd be out for hours and hours. This would be like all Saturday get on the bus, go somewhere if you had a couple of pennies or whatever, go swimming if you had like, I think it was five pennies to go swimming. Anyway. Now, I remember one time, I don't know what the hell my mom used to wash stuff in, but I think it was a combination of soap and acid because my clothes were just like sandpaper, washboard, shark skin, god-awful, scrape-your-skin stuff sometimes. And I would remember being out in the summer, and I was running around, running around, and I got this sort of, you know, this like, sensitivity chemical rash on my inside thighs. And I was walking back home, and I was like half crying because it was just like I had to walk like John Wayne after a, <laughs> a stint in prison because I had to keep my thighs apart because they were so sensitive. But it didn't really. I had to keep the thighs not just apart from each other but away from this godforsaken skin-crawling Satan fabric. And some, a friend of mine, like ran up with a football, a soccer ball, and was like, "Hey, Steph, come play. We're having a soccer game." <laughs> I was, ma- I got mad at him. And do you know why? Because
3: the soccer game would provoke the like fabric uh,
0: irritation. No.
3: Well, he didn't know that this was happening, so.
0: Six words. What? <laughs> uh, you give me, I'll give you the first five, you give me the last one. Okay, let's go. Can't you see I'm in pain? Yeah. Huh, yeah. I'm walking along, I'm half crying, I'm, I'm walking funny, and he's like, hey, come play soccer!
3: Yeah, his happiness was like, uh, uh
0: not you see? I'm in un- pain. Un- un-
3: un- unempathetic to your pain, or like it was like, uh, yeah. And, and referring to my sister, you're you meaning that like she, her happiness was like, she was unempathetic to my, to my unhappiness. Like she saw me, like being sad or not happy or neutral, or whatever, and she was like dancing and prancing and being happy. And, and let
0: me tell you. If yeah. you can't see my pain, I will fucking make you see my pain. Yeah, of course. Now there was a yeah. Okay, so now we're somewhere, right? Yeah. Okay, so tell me what that meant to you. Yeah, I, I understand. Uh... No, no, don't, don't understand. Tell me what that meant for you. Oh, you're so abstract, man.
3: <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, uh,
0: okay, so uh... let's get back. When I said if you won't see my pain, I will fucking make you see my pain. And you went, yeah. There was something from your lizard brain, not from your elf brain, right? So <laughs> what was that when I said that?
3: The, the feeling that like, I inflicted it on my sister and to like, Like make her see Mm -hmm. how I was feeling or make her see that uh, the pain or the suffering.
0: Right. So you probably experienced her happiness as an insult to you, as an affront to you.
3: Yeah. But of course she couldn't help it. She was...
0: No, 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 forget all of the, oh, no, forget that. Stay with your 10-year-old. Don't give me this, oh, I'm empathetic. If I were John Bradshaw at the age of 10 with a good child. <laughs> no, give me your, stay with the 10-year-olds, right? Yeah. Because is what you're apologizing for. Don't give yeah. me this abstract crap, right? So. She comes in and she's happy and you're miserable. What do you most want her to do? Stop
3: being happy and I want her to see that I'm not happy and
0: maybe like ask
3: why or I don't know.
0: It's like the family's driving away and they don't even notice that you're not in the car. A terrible memory from my childhood was (sighs) before I went to boarding school, my brother was there for a year ahead of me. And my mother and I went to go and visit him for a day. And
3: I, I remember this story, actually.
0: Uh, yeah. So I just, but, you know, not everyone's heard every podcast. but Of course. Yeah. My, um my mother, I don't know if she got it wrong or got the day wrong or whatever, but she, we had a train to catch and she, she dropped my brother off and the, the boarding school was locked. There was nobody there. And she just dropped him off at the age of seven. And he was just bawling. How All terrifying. Right. Yeah, just dropping you off at the empty house, empty school, giant, it was a giant school. Just dropping you off, it's locked, nobody there, night is falling, bye-bye. And I watched him as we drove away in the cab. Yeah. I never knew what happened. And that feeling, I get what he felt was that they're, they're abandoning me, basically, in this giant hellhole of a haunted complex. Where I don't know if anyone's even here. Night's falling. What the hell am I going to do? We couldn't even. It was in the middle of nowhere. It wasn't even like in a town.
3: He could have like starved, or
0: I don't know. He could have. He could have. Yeah, exposure. It was cold.
3: Yeah. Well, maybe not starved, but yeah, he could have. He could have. You need water. Yeah, you need water. Mm -hmm. And.
0: Well, just I mean, and how traumatic would it be? Yeah. All night. Sure. It's in the woods. Nowhere. Wolves, who knows, right? Terrifying. Yeah. So we're just driving away. And his tears are not lasso enough to pull us back. Because, no. you know, mom had a train to catch. <laughs> so, I mean, the idea of saying, well, we're not going to get this train, we still, right? Now I was only five, I was four and a half or five. So I mean, I, I don't feel like oh, I should have reasoned with my mom. And I was like, but it was a terrible situation, and his his pain was not enough to alter my mother's behavior. And I, I think that changed permanently their relationship. I think that sense of his his terror, his his fear, his his hatred, his panic, his horror. At the situation, I think that I never saw that from him again with her ever. I think that was the sever. I think that was the cut. Just my opinion. The, the
3: the child and parent bond were like.
0: The, yeah, yeah. I think that was it.
3: Yeah, probably. Yeah, I
0: think that was it. I think that was it, and I think that he um, never went back to that vulnerability again. And yeah, that's, that's the
3: problem when you when you abuse or or, or inflict pain. You can never have that.
0: Uh, well, how can you mo- trust? Almost where's another the, where's question, the trust? but
3: yeah.
0: You're abandoning me at a big, giant, old, scary place in the woods, driving off in the dark. I'm seven. Yeah. I mean, where the, where, how the hell is he ever going to feel secure again? Huge yeah. sympathy for that. Terrible. So my my point is, if, and let's forget about, your perspective now, right? Because mm-hmm. you, don't, you don't do it now. The perspective as the child is important. It's yeah. essential. It is. If she cared about you, what would she do? I mean, imagine if you were, if you were, um, if you were uh, hosting a dinner party and friends were over, were like 20 people around, and you cut yourself really badly, like really badly, like blood squirting, like stitches, hospital, thumb hanging by half a thread, and everyone's like, "Oh William, would you pass me the potatoes?" <laughs> I say, "Fine wine, like, mighty chilly for this time of year." What? What? And uh, you'd be like, "The fuck?"
3: <laughs> yeah, everybody's uh, see all this blind blood on the ceiling.
0: Pain, this, yeah. you know, yeah, like that would be completely fucked up, right? Yeah, that would be like. I, I. Th- these are insane people, mm-hmm. and there would be like a, a a really there'd be a fuck you element to that, right? We are yeah. not going to acknowledge that you're hurt. We're going to acknowledge that you're upset. We're not going to any of that. Just pretend like nothing happened. Like nothing's happened. Yeah. Now, from your childhood perspective, the people who you really wanted to care about your unhappiness was who? parents yeah of course Uh, but of course because that's and and why do you want your parents to care about your happiness and your unhappiness because if they care about your unhappiness if they care about your unhappiness Mm -hmm. then you can trust and feel more secure that they will not try to make you unhappy right But if they don't care about your unhappiness, or if even worse, they enjoy, or relish your unhappiness, right, then there's no possibility of security. So you really, really, William, wanted your parents to care about your unhappiness. I did. I mean, the other night, um, we, we do these the uh, brain teasers in, you know, sometimes, from time to time, and... Um, my daughter got one. I'll, I'll read it another time. It's just like, I w- blew my mind. And she got it like, bang. And I was so excited. I was like, literally jumping up and down. and I was like chasing her to kiss her brain. <laughs> she was, it was so, I just, I think that stuff's amazing. And it's so cool to see happen. Anyway, but she didn't get the next one and she started to get upset and then she didn't get the next one either. And then she started crying. And I, it was because she was, right. she was so excited about the positive response and all that right yeah that she she got we so much care about what our parents think of us and because she's so independent and, and so argumentative at times which I'm not exactly going to complain about because I might have an idea where it comes from yeah. <laughs> but um uh, I forget of course how sometimes it, and not like I forget but it's like I'm not as clear about how dependent she is and how much my opinion and perspective means to her but um you really wanted someone to care about your unhappiness, right? Yeah. And when you are miserable, if you're bleeding at the dinner party and everyone's having a great time, that's kind of a fuck you, right? Mm-hmm. Wait, I lost you here emotionally. Where, where did you go?
3: I'm, I'm here, but uh, I understand, yeah, the, the pain. Uh...
0: No, no, emotionally you just... <laughs> Unplugged. So what happened there? Where did that? I don't know. I, I, did you notice? Like, How do you feel at the moment? Well, I feel, I feel neutral at the moment. Okay. So what that means is that we're not talking about something that's connecting with you. Which is fine. I just don't want to waste time if, if we're not, right? Okay. Because I, I, think, I think you took it as an insult that your sister didn't care that you were unhappy and was just having her merry old time, despite the fact that you were stewing in nihilistic misery? How dare you be happy Uh, when I'm traumatized? How dare you enjoy the dinner party while I'm bleeding on the ceiling? Yeah.
3: Of course. So then it
0: becomes uh, almost like self-defense, if that makes sense.
3: If you'd like, I don't know, if you're up to it, then maybe uh, if I can do some some role play, like if I uh, try to apologize and you're my, let's
0: say you're my sister. No, 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 no. Oh, God, no. So far from the apology. If you want to be the 10-year-old, or if I want to be the 10-year-old, we could do that. But I don't think we're at the apology place yet. Because okay. you're disconnected from the motivation for the abuse.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Right? So we started exploring i got one yeah from you Mm -hmm. right how dare you not notice i'm in pain right but after that it's just disconnected so i don't want to do an apology from a state of disconnectedness right you need to do an apology from a state of real emotional connectedness okay right because otherwise they can't trust it you won't do it again right
3: So that's yeah. I think that's that's the key, and I don't know if it I can, I can, you know, get to that that place. But
0: oh, the the, the I, place is trying I, to I, get to you. This is not you have to take a plane, right? The place is trying yeah. to get to you. Okay. Your ten year old suffered enormously. I'm getting a sense of just how much you suffered as a child, and it's pretty yeah. fucking black, right? And it's pretty fucking bleak. You suffered enormously as a child. Hatred of joy does not come out of the fact that you stubbed your toe or had a sunburn or didn't get as good on the test as you wanted, right? It comes from a very nihilistic assault upon the very foundations of your personality.
3: Yeah.
0: Right? It's that uh, line from the Dread Pirate Roberts in um, The Princess Bride. Life is pain. Anyone who tells you different is trying to sell you something. So, no comfort, assault, attack, verbal put-downs, humiliations, and a complete lack of empathy for your suffering. Right? Now, you couldn't punish your parents because you needed them to survive, right? You couldn't punish your parents lack of connection or empathy with your suffering, right? No. But you could punish your sister for her lack of attention to your suffering. But of course, your sister was modeling her lack of attention to your suffering on your parents' lack of attention to your suffering, right? Yeah. And the whole goddamn lot of you kids, or well, the five siblings, were probably quite aware that the first person to show genuine empathy would really get dumped on, right?
3: From, from my from the parents, parents
0: or, and from yeah. the other siblings, perhaps, even too, right? Sure. Well, I think this is stuff to mull over. I think this is stuff to maybe talk about. I certainly would recommend talking about this stuff with a therapist. But I it, I would certainly not, in my opinion, again, I'm just some guy on the internet, but I I would not put you in the category of being connected enough for a truly meaningful apology as yet.
3: Okay. Yeah, it, it's, it's good that you... But, uh, yeah, that you...
0: Analyze. I mean, you're not consciously Analyze. fighting me like crazy, but you're fighting me like crazy, right? Probably. Because I asked you earlier, I said, are you going to work with me or are you going to go abstract, right? And you're yeah. like, oh, I'm going to work with you, man. <laughs> I'm going to work with you. I really am. <laughs> okay, no, I'm not. <laughs> but I'm not going to tell you I'm not going to work with you. I'm just going to go, uh-huh, yeah, mm, no, uh interesting, yeah, uh-huh. I'm not criticizing. I'm not complaining. I'm just pointing it out that I'm noticing, <laughs> right?
3: Sure. Because...
0: Okay. Like, I'm pointing, like, you've, we've got this whole scenario wherein no one is noticing your pain, right? And what's happening is you're disconnecting and you're asking me to break the cycle by noticing the pain that's making you disconnect, right? Mm-hmm. No, you give me that mm-hmm again, right? Like I'm giving you some equation, right? You want me to notice that you're disconnecting so I can tell you that I notice that you're disconnecting and that's coming from a place of suffering, Right? In other words, I'm now breaking what Sarah, your sister, did at the age of eight, right? And if you can accept that someone has now noticed your suffering and is breaking the cycle by pointing it out without aggression, then you've got something valuable. Because you're trying to get me to disconnect by disconnecting yourself so that you can have a repeat of the same cycle of your suffering being ignored by others, right? But I get how much suffering there is in your history. I get how even this aggression against your sister is a cry for help is a cry for I have more suffering than I can bear my friends my siblings my family my world I have more suffering than I can bear I have no words large enough there are no words polysyllabic or long enough to encapsulate the length and breadth of my suffering in this house with these people. This suffering is far larger than my heart and mind. I can only show you my suffering through my aggression. I cannot speak my suffering. I have no words big or deep enough to convey them. I can only reproduce my suffering through actions because I cannot encapsulate them through language. And I will continue to make people suffer until they notice that I am suffering. But that can never work because the more you make people suffer, the less empathy they can have for you. So in this cry for visibility, for your suffering, you are driving people further and further away as unconsciously you're trying to drive me further and further away through your emotional disconnection so that your suffering remains a secret. Your suffering remains hidden. It keeps you isolated. And it gives you the self-satisfaction of self-attack. But I know, William, I know, I know how much you suffered as a child. And I also know how much you mourn for the person that you could have been and the child that you could have been, who was, as all children are, born with a heart overflowing with love and attachment and affection and curiosity and happiness and vulnerability, and care, concern, empathy. That child... Yeah, go ahead.
3: My parents, they didn't have enough love for us, or they could maybe spare a little love for one child at the time, or, you know, it was, like, something we had to compete with, like, it was, like, some game, or, like, a, a war amongst us, like... We had to scream to get our way and we had
0: to, you know,
3: we had to use some force to get love well, they had to turn
0: They like, had to turn you on each other, right?
3: Yeah, like it was like some hunger games of like the family.
0: Yeah, because the abuse must be relentless and sometimes they're busy. So they must turn you against each other.
3: Yeah, they were good at that. And, of course, my closest sibling, she abused her sister, and she abused her younger brother, and like a, it's like a trickle. You
0: know. Now you're back to description and anthropology. you giving me a case history, not your history. Which is your present, right? Mm-hmm.
3: feels like my I was unloved as a child
0: no it's worse than that you're giving me all these absences it's worse than that a child cannot feel unloved like the majority of the world doesn't feed me right well even the majority of my listeners don't feed me, right? But the majority of the world doesn't feed me. But I don't feel unfed by the world as a whole. But if some guy locks me in his basement and doesn't feed me, is he just someone else who doesn't feed me like everyone else? No, no he's, he's, starving you. Me. Yeah, he's starving. He's
3: starving me. Yeah, he's starving. He's starving
0: me. Yeah. He's starving me. There cannot be an unness with parents.
3: No. It's you ca- I mean, so, so the vast majority uh, of
0: the world doesn't love me or hate me, or know anything about me. Yeah. But if my daughter didn't love me, that would not be unloved in the way that everyone else unloves me or doesn't know about me, right? There can be yeah. no neutrality in a family.
3: No, of course, that's either a love or So it's not hate. unloved.
0: So I need you to stop bullshitting me, man. Yeah, they... I need you to stop that. Stop giving me all of this neutral garbage. Okay? What was your experience? Don't tell me this unloved stuff.
3: They fucking hated me.
0: All right. Go on. Let's get some honesty out here, man. I mean, I know you're not lying to me, but... Let's get some facts.
3: I mean... My mother, she would criticize her. She would.
0: (coughs) Your voice was starting. Tell me your voice was starting to tell me the story. Then hang on, your voice was starting to tell me the story. Then you cleared your throat, right? Because your voice broke there, right? You wavered, and then you cleared your throat, like push that away, right? So I'm going to start again. You said they hated you. And then you started talking about your mother. But don't push it away. Just tell me. Tell me what it was. The way it was.
3: All the time she would criticize on the behavior of my father and uh, while he was away or while he was working or when he was home or whatever. But what the fuck? I'm... I'm half my father like I'm half him you're you're like you hate half of me like at least like I'm I'm half of my father and everything that he does is it's imprinted upon me like she basically hated me and Really felt bad, like really bad. Go on. Because I didn't hate my father. I I had I looked up I looked up to my father and i i wish i could
0: Formulate any more words. I... No, I know, because you, you went <laughs> sentimental again, right? You tell yeah. me that your father's violent, that you had fist fights and, and so on, and then you say, but I love my father. And you also went into this cliche that, you know, he's half me. Now I get that. I mean, you know, my mom used to complain about my dad all the time, too. I mean, I never really felt my dad's half me, but the difference was my dad wasn't around, so your dad was, and obviously there's more of an imprinting. But yeah. I'll just tell you, William, my experience. Right, because I don't want to obviously tell you your experience, but my experience when my mom would bitch about my dad, it was really terrifying to me yeah. because she never took any ownership.
3: Yeah, she chose him.
0: She she, she got to him. she
3: got to go out on dates and try to. Yeah. Uh, my mother's a beautiful if, woman.
0: Yeah, she was a beautiful woman when she was younger, yeah, and my, she. My mother was also. <coughs> Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. So uh, she she had her pick. She had her pick. Yeah. And she never said I can't believe I chose a guy. And she certainly never ever apologized to me and said, "I'm so sorry that I chose a man who didn't stick around or who I couldn't stay with to be your dad. I'm sorry. That has been harmful to you." Your mother, can you imagine her saying, "William, I'm sorry." I chose a man that you had fist fights with, and we had to call the cops four times
3: No, oh, he's she's never apologized for it, and they've since divorced
0: and so she uh, couldn't stand him after a while yeah but she's never apologized uh, for actually him to it.
3: actually it was uh my dad who divorced, who made the divorce uh proceedings but yeah um mm-hmm. but she has like still to this day she has uh, uh no like ownership over. Her choosing him, like she, she feels like he's uh, he's he's uh, to blame, like he's changed or something. I don't know what what her excuse is, but you know, it's uh, like she she has no power, or that she yeah
0: yeah. I mean, and they also they play this game, which was no one could have seen it coming, right? Yeah, <laughs> it was impossible to know ahead of time that this behavior could even be remotely a possibility. Yeah. Married a dolphin, turned into a sea turtle. <laughs> Strange alchemy, right? No history, yeah, I, no I, I, parallel, I've told no, her.
3: I've told no my mother this, like, or I, I've done the analogy, I think you've done it as well, like with the, the car. Like, if you wanted a Volvo, what did you, like, buy a a Volkswagen or whatever. Like, if you wanted, what but I'm
0: going to assume your dad had a lot of money, right?
3: Yeah, he he has uh, a lot of money.
0: Yeah, so I mean, it's just basically tits for cash. I hate to put yeah. it that crudely, but it's yeah. uh, it's base it's base mammalian <laughs> monkey shit, right? Yeah. And and, and my eggs, for very, yeah. <laughs> eggs for sale. Appetizing young eggs for sale. One of them and, will grow up and be William, who calls into the show. Anyway, so yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so it's primitive stuff, right? And same yeah, thing, it's very Mike. primitive. I, I've heard this from, <laughs> I've heard this from women. Oh man! I, look, I'm not gonna, you know, we're not gonna do the emotional thing, right? Because, you know, you've touched on it a bit, but it's something you need to work on with a therapist, in my humble opinion. But, and I gotta move on in a sec. But I will, I will say this. And I look, great call. I mean, I hugely appreciate, you know, the 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 courage, the honesty, the trust, mm-hmm. to, to to call in. But yeah, no, I've I've heard this from a woman from many years ago. She married this guy and she thought he was going to be all this and fries on the side. You know, oh, he was doing this. He was doing that. He was going to be successful at this, that, and the other. And I thought he was just, you know, he was writing music. He was doing doing TV. And I thought he was going to just, you know, and now, like, look where I'm living, you know? (laughs) It's like, oh, you wanted status and all you got was a husband. (laughs) All you got was the father of your children. And this resentment of like, I thought my eggs were worth more than this. <laughs> I, uh... Bait and switch. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I, you know, I thought, uh, I thought he was going to be higher status for me. And uh, he wasn't. So what I'm going to do is nag the shit out of him. <laughs> because <laughs> I chose wrong. Or I can't adjust to my choices. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and every,
3: everybody in society just agrees with, with these women or, like, they just like, oh, yeah, yeah, it seems reasonable. or
0: <laughs> Yeah, no, and it's it's funny, you know. <laughs> I mean, let me just give you a tiny rant, if you don't mind, if you'd sure. be so very kind. Listen, but before we move to that, I mean, how was the conversation about your, your history for you? Yeah, you... you
3: I mean, I wish I could be more there or more connected or something but I, uh, I'll i give a listen back to it and see Yeah, yeah, listen maybe, back maybe, to it Maybe and, and I'll, maybe I'll it, hear the <laughs>
0: and all that and, yeah. yeah, and call back in if you can't get anywhere but but therapist, but I mean uh, is, is there anything you think I could have done differently or or better that might have helped with that or was it just as far as we could get Yeah, you you, know, you,
3: you did a good job because um, every time I would abstract or, or uh, give non-answers you would you would tell me. So, uh,
0: uh, yeah, it was effective, uh, uh, so, so to say. All right. Uh, yeah. Okay, so here's, here's what's funny about women. And this is not all women, right? Usual disclaimers, but nobody listens to mm-hmm. you. Anyway, but uh, this is what's funny about women. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is literally what a lot of women, what goes on, right? All right. I like this guy. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to color my hair. I'm going to put on makeup. Lipstick, blush, eyeshadow, mascara. I'm going to put on perfume. I'm going to shave my legs in anticipation of carnal cough scrubbing. I'm going to get a giant mechano push-up wonder bra that basically puts my tits somewhere up around my eyebrows. I'm going to wear a low-cut dress. And I'm going to pretend to be a lot saner than I really am. (laughs) And I'm going to get my teeth polished, and I'm going to use teeth whitening, and I might even get some Botox if I'm a little over the hill. And I'm going to uh, not talk about any financial troubles I might be going through. And uh, I'm going to pretend to be a lot more successful than I am. And then they, you know, date a guy and all that. And after all of this Spanx encrusted fakery, women have the nerve and the gall to say, he's not who I thought he was. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's hilarious. Are
1: you have you kidding, seen
3: me? Uh, yeah, have you seen the uh, it reminds me of the uh, Chris Rock bit where he uh, like uh, screams that uh, Those aren't your it, real tits. Those aren't your real tits. Those aren't your your real height. You ain't that tall. Like, yeah. And
0: yeah. He, you know, this is a woman's lie, right? I know no, the man's yeah, yeah. lie is no, I was at the club with Ralph on Thursday and sure. Here's a woman's lie. <laughs> this is your baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But this idea like flip through a woman's magazine I mean, these yeah. creatures who are the top .0001 percent of attractive women still need makeup and airbrushing and Photoshop, mm. and then they have the nerve to say to a man, he's not who I thought he was.
3: <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, oh it's quite, I mean, look quite, at, look quite at, hilarious.
0: Look at the makeup stuff that goes on, yeah. just on YouTube the, the, or anywhere. Before and after makeup. Yeah. But he's not who I thought he was. Look at René Zellweger's weird plastic kneecap face. He's not who I thought he was. <laughs> Dear God. Yeah. You know, like a picture emerged somehow from the fashion industrial complex of Cindy Crawford, who is, I don't know, in her 50s, I think. She's had a couple of kids. And she was at some Italian photo shoot, and they managed to get a picture of her with, guess what? A dimpled belly from childbearing. Right? And everyone's like, wow, (laughs) she's so brave. Oh, yeah, that's that's super brave. (laughs) You know, men, we have to go to war. (laughs) We get killed on the job 98% of the time. And for a woman, it's like, I have wrinkles from having a baby. I've been a supermodel. That's what I'm going to call courage.
3: Yeah.
0: Madness. Absolute yeah, I just... madness. <laughs> I mean, seeing a seeing an unmade-up woman's face mm-hmm. and then seeing a made-up woman's face and then women <laughs> have the nerve to say, "Well, this isn't what I signed up for." this isn't what I he was. He just changed it's like yeah he changed his underwear not his entire fucking complexion yeah I mean the whole makeup industry is about making women appear that they're climaxing permanently oh really is that you know like the that, red uh, lips and the flushed yeah. face and it's like oh permagasm yeah by L'Oreal <laughs> that's, that's yeah. all it is It's all it is. Permanent erotic coming all over the subway. (laughs) And then after basically putting permanent climax O faces on their skin, they say, well, you know, sometimes men can sexually harass women. (laughs) Okay. But basically, you have porn face. Yeah. That's what makeup is. It's porn face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is how my lips would look if I was incredibly sexually aroused. This is how I would smell if I was about to orgasm. This is what my cheeks would look like if I was about to orgasm and young. <laughs> and look, this stuff around my eyes makes my eyes look whiter, which is youth. <laughs> and this dye around my hair makes my hair look young. Yeah. Ah oh, man. And, and then women say, he's just not the man I married. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> you and a team of 19,000 specialists make the woman I married? 19,000 specialists have gone away. What's left? <sighs> anyway, I could do that for quite a while, but uh, I just wanted to uh. mention this. Uh, it's just kind of funny to me that you know so much of women's appearance is this devotional obsession to appear not who they are
3: yeah and it's, i mean it feels like it's very like time consuming like they could do something else than <laughs> like painting on their Hey face. how about virtue?
0: Like,
3: yeah like, yeah you know? <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's
0: all right some lunches well, well, won't kill well, you the,
3: the sit ups and stuff that's also vanity i guess but you know yeah you're right
0: you no should, i like, think having a good core I think yeah. having a good core is is important. You know, like yeah. I took a bunch of kids cross country skiing for two hours the other day. It's you know, it's good to be healthy. It's good to have a strong core and all that. It's not all about like you know six pack and all that. Sure. But uh, no, it's funny. You know, it's like I'm I'm sort of having to go through this with my daughter. You know, like because we have magazines occasionally around the house, and it's like she's not a human being. <laughs> she's not. She is not a human being. She is. Uh, she's. I mean. That's not her face. That's not her body, particularly, mm-hmm. of course, if it's a photo, because they're all just they're all just out like crazy, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, yeah, I really wanted to point out, like this, this is this is a form of sadistic art, right? Like women's fashion and makeup and those magazines. It's just sadistic art. That's all it is. It's like I'm going to make you feel like shit, and you can pay me to dig you out of that shit for a little while. Uh. It makes looking like a human being, the equivalent of original sin in Catholicism. Hey, I've cursed you for just being alive. So pay me every week to take that curse away. Oh, it came back. Come back next week and pay me again. Now I'm going to curse you, says the fashion industrial complex. I'm going to curse you with the original sin called looking like a fucking human woman. And I can take away that curse for copious amounts of money copious amounts of money I can take the curse away that you actually look like a bipedal human female with skin yeah uh, take that curse away pay up and I'll take you away from the hell and of course it's a, a race to the bottom or it's an arms race so to speak because if you're the only woman who doesn't you're like <laughs> men are like I, I, I don't know I thought that's what women look like and I look at you I'm like whoa <laughs> I saw a picture on the internet the other day which was sort of like, why you should always take your date swimming on the first date? Because there was a picture of some woman who looked great in makeup and then they took the makeup off and it was like, whoa. (laughs) What (laughs) is that? (sighs) Um, And so you take take your date swimming and it's like, yep, (laughs) that's what she looks like. Because, you know, I mean, I'm the guy who like stares into an ultra high definition camera. And it's like, hey, (laughs) didn't know I had freckles until high def came along. At least not that many. I'm like this constellation of mud splatters. And, uh, you know, I'm putting makeup on. (laughs) This is how I look. Like it or not. This is how I look. And men get that luxury and women say, well, we can't. We can't. We just can't. We have to look this way because otherwise... Oh, so men are supposed to overcome all of our gender programming and be sensitive and be non-competitive and be supportive and be sweet. So we have to overcome all of our programming by gender. But you can't. (laughs) You can't. You just can't. (laughs) Okay, so men are strong and you're weak. That's... That's how you're going to approach this question of gender equality, right? Men can overcome their programming, but women, we can't. can't go out without makeup. I mean, I remember when I was working up north. Oh, man. I think it was my second year. I didn't do it for like many years straight. It was, it was my second year, and I was in a town, a little town called New Liskard, and uh, I was processing a bunch of samples using some godforsaken machine. I can't remember. I can't remember. Anyway. For separating the gold from the silt, from the sand, from the whatever, right? And there was this woman who was uh, working with me, and we were like, oh, shit, we need a tool. We got to head into town, right? We were in a camp. And she's like, great, I need an hour and a half. (laughs) I'm like, I'm sorry, what? No, we have to go into town. We need, like, we're working. This thing broke. We need to fix it. We need whatever, right? Got to go into town. I said I need an hour and a half. I said, "Why? Are you a replicant? Do you need to contact the mothership?" And she said, "Well, no. I have to put my face on. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, you have one. <laughs> I need to attach my secondary penis to go to town. Like it. You have. It's like we're just going to. No, I can't. And she like like." Like went into a tent with a mirror and put makeup on and did her hair and it's like, we're going to a goddamn hardware store. Now, that's an extreme, I hope, I think, I pray, an extreme example. But, yeah, so the idea that women complain that they didn't get what they signed up for with a man, I don't know. It's like Bernie Madoff claiming that somebody... (laughs) Faked him out in some manner. It's like, well, you know. <laughs> anyway, so sorry. I just wanted to mention that because this lack yeah, of no, responsibility it, it, stuff. It, it is was kind a good,
3: uh, a good rant. I don't know. I don't know how we got it. Got there, but
0: because uh, you were talking oh, about how your mom oh, wasn't taking any oh, yeah, responsibility, oh yeah, 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 and no, your dad remember, just yeah. changed, and right, no one could have seen it. He wasn't the man I married. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so this let's this, like, this, say the feels... women who spent four hours in hair and makeup before stepping down the aisle yeah <laughs> yeah but I, I, yeah, that I, doesn't I change mean, over the like wedding night right
3: yeah but it I mean, feels like it should be more why does obvious, the pillow look, look to like to your people, face or, i'm sorry no i said it was uh, it feels like it should be more obvious to people but uh, i guess it's not or it's hid or i don't know it's uh it's not hidden
0: if you go to the supermarket.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. There's like aisles and aisles and aisles of perfume
0: and gadgets. Oh, God, and just go like, to a mall. It's like... <laughs> go to a mall. There's like, yeah. there's one electronic store you can drop the husband at, and the rest of it is all like, here's shoes to make your ass up around your shoulder blades. Here's yeah. handbags that cost as much as a small car. Mm-hmm. And here's, here's, here's. <laughs> It's a store full of unbelievable creams that seem like a gay alchemist from the 14th century. Anyway, go on and on. But uh, Mm. yeah, just look at malls and then tell me about the patriarchy, damn it. Anyway. (laughs) All right, listen, I think we've got time for another caller. But I hope, hope, hope you'll uh, continue to pursue this. Your siblings are lucky. In I my will. opinion, that you are focusing on this stuff, it will serve you well. You will connect with it, and uh, just drop us an email. Let us know how it goes after you listen uh, back to yep. this, because I think there will be some useful stuff in uh, it.
3: Can I just say one one last word or sentence? Uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed the conversation. It was uh, uh, fun, but uh, uh, or uh, yeah, and I'll I'll listen back to it, and I'd just like to thank you uh, uh, from the bottom of my heart, really, for for what you're doing to to influence the world in a in a peaceful way to uh combat child abuse and i i feel tremendously uh hopeful of the world and because of you actually it's uh a, a real real joy to live life uh now that i've uh, Started this journey, so thank you, really, from the bottom of my heart. And uh, yeah, I hope everybody uh, donates to you that listens, or the ones that haven't yet and know that they should. They really should because uh, it uh, it changes the way that you think and listen to the show. It really does you. Uh, so thank you so much.
0: Thank you, William. It's very, very kind. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you, everybody, as always, so so much for calling in and sharing your thoughts and ideas. And uh, your openness, your honesty, your vulnerability is incredibly inspiring to me and uh, reminds me of the work that we all do and that I have to do and everyone has to do, I think, or should do to work at opening our hearts and uh, freeing our minds and uh, securing our boundaries. So thanks, everyone. Have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful night. We will talk to you on Wednesday, which I guess will be March. And please don't forget freedomainradio.com slash donate we need you there look there's my
2: vulnerability please help us out freedomainradio.com slash donate have a great night we'll talk to you soon